All right, well, uh, a few months ago, there in the narthex, uh, back there, uh, we put up some uh, booklets um, that uh, basically on the wall is, I'm not sure if you can see it there, it says Biblical Counseling Resources. That's what those booklets are. They are resources for uh, biblical counseling. Super practical, dealing with uh, common issues of, of life. They, they cover a variety of topics from forgiveness to conflict, to addiction, to abuse. And, and the book, is, the idea of them is really to shine a, a biblical light on each of these issues. And taken as a whole, all of them together, uh, really they show the sufficiency of Scripture. As Peter says, the, the power of Christ has given us all things pertaining to life and to godliness. So, so Christ within us gives us everything we need to walk a godly, wholesome life, and, and how incredibly hope-giving it is, right, to realize the power of Christ is, is there with us. And the booklets merely just uh, illuminate that with God's Word to help us with those things. And, and over the past few months, we've had um, uh, quite a few of those booklets taken, which is wonderful, and, and I trust that many of you who have taken those resources have been helped by them, and, um, and, and that's, that's our desire. We put them there. And just, I, I would ask you, right, if you've been so stirred, um, they, they cost some things, so you can just, you know, put, put some money back there. Maybe $5 each. I'm not sure what they cost, Maggie. Maybe something like that. You just, it's not that we're keeping track, but if you just want to say, hey, this is a good ministry. These books have helped me. Feel free to contribute that as well. But, but know this also. These books are just a start. They are brief. You can read each of them in about 15 minutes. And uh, But I would encourage you, just thinking about maybe some of you have even taken a booklet. You don't need to raise your hand if you have. But if you've taken a booklet, I'd just say, that's a start. And it's also a sign. It's, it's maybe a sign that you have felt, the diagnosis of your own soul, that might be helpful to me. Let, let me pick that up and let me read it. Right? In other words, there's been some concern in your life that you've thought maybe this would, would help me. And so my challenge to you is if you took a booklet... And you said, you know what, at least this, I might need some help in that area. Why don't you find someone to talk to about that? Because these booklets are really just a start. They're just a crack in the door. They're just one resource to help. You can talk with me, talk with any elders. Maybe you can talk with a friend who can just help. You can be accountable. You just say, you know what, I'm struggling. I took one of those booklets, and I just want to uh, read about this, whether you're struggling with depression or, or anger or, or loneliness there are plenty of people ready to talk with you and help you about that. If you need further help, uh, probably for every booklet there, I can probably give you five full-length books that deal with the topics at hand. I give you counsel as well. Now, maybe you've taken a booklet for a friend or someone in need. I know Yvonne and I have done that with several of these booklets, right? We've seen a need, someone in the church, and actually with a couple needs of people outside the church. We've, we've taken these booklets and we've actually given to them as a help in our own counseling ministry and evangelistic ministry is to help them. It's a conversation to begin. In that case, the conversation's already started. But so I just encourage you, if you've taken one, to, uh, to really seek someone else to, to talk with them. Because you have diagnosed yourself like, hey, there's, there's an issue in my life. I want to look at this. Anyway, when we put the kiosk up... Uh, a few years ago, I took a picture of the books on the left and, and on the right, um, and just kind of looking at that, I just wanted to record, okay, what are, what are the booklets that we have there? And I put that out in the weekly word so you might see it. Well, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, I took another picture of the biblical counseling resources, and it looked just like that. And um, there's something really interesting about this picture. Kids, maybe do you see it? What do you see at Thatcher? 
One of the slots is empty. It's an empty slot there. And so what I did was I actually am thankful I took a picture beforehand. And so I, I picked that up and matched it up and found out that uh, this is a booklet that by by every means was the most, whatever, attractive or the most interesting or the most intriguing. It says, Overcoming Anxiety, Relief for Worried People. And uh, so I saw that and I said, I think this is a sign. I think this means that me as a, as a pastor, I'm thinking, you know what, there are probably a good portion of people in our congregation who are, are struggling with that. And maybe a sermon or two on the topic of anxiety might be helpful. And so for the next two weeks, we're going to talk about anxiety. Um, and then by the time after Labor Day, we're going to get back into Acts and just kind of work our way right through the book of Acts. We're right in Acts chapter 19. We'll, we'll pick that up. Um, but I want for us these next two weeks to look at anxiety. And know this, it wasn't our intention, it wasn't my intention to put those booklets out there and say, okay, which ones, which, where, where's our big problem in our church that we can like look to address? Um, that was not, was not my idea, but I, it just so happened that, that that was the case. And if you'd asked me which of those booklets you think would go quickest, I'm not sure I would have had an opinion on that. I'm not sure I would at all have guessed that anxiety was. But anyway, here we are, and I trust been guided of the Lord that apparently this is an issue uh, with us in our congregation. Now, I don't know who's taking those. I'm not the booklet police. So, oh, what booklet did you take? Oh, you're struggling with that, huh? That's not, that's not my intention a- at all. But I just know that there are people here struggling with anxiety, and if truth be told, probably many of us have issues and struggles with anxiety. And so the title of my message this morning is Think About Anxiety. That's what I want to do. I want us to, to think a bit about anxiety here this morning. First of all, I just want to think about what is anxiety? Want to think about it? Say, what, what's anxiety? And here's a, here's a definition that I sort of came up with. I didn't consult, just kind of something I thought. It. Anxiety is our wrong response when we're overconcerned with someone or something in our lives. I think it's a good... Uh, anxiety is a wrong response that would be an ungodly action or attitude or thoughts or behavior because of being overconcerned with something or someone in our lives. That's a, a good understanding of what anxiety is. And anxiety can take place when we fear something in the future. Say a talk that you give in public or a difficult conversation that you have with a a friend or the results of a blood test. These are the things you might be anxious about and your anxiety can be over-concerned and you could have bad, ungodly, wrong responses to that. We can worry about our our children or our finances or our safety. Anxiety can take place when we're stressed in life. We have responsibilities that are too much for us, overcoming us, or facing a, a major decision in our life that's maybe a move or a job change. Anxiety can come upon us and can stir us in a, in a, in a wrong way. Now, you also need to know anxiety is not necessarily a bad thing. Okay? Hear that? Anxiety is not a bad thing. I mean, think about it. Anxiety about an upcoming test? What's that going to do to you? It's going to make you study harder. And is studying harder a good thing? Parents, is that a good thing? Yes, studying harder is a, is a good thing in the lives of your children. Anxiety about some band concert that we're playing in makes us practice more diligently. Uh, anxiety about a big game 
will motivate us to train with more intensity than ever before. Anxiety is not such a bad thing. It's what God has given to us, this fear, this apprehension, this nervousness, so that we might push ourselves to perform in a better way. And even in the Bible, anxiety isn't always a bad thing. The Greek word for anxiety is merimnao. Translated several times, used probably 10, 15 times in the New Testament. And it can easily be translated, <clears throat> merimnao, <clears throat> excuse me, care or concern. And care and concern is, excuse me, I need to, <clears throat> just to, care and concern are not always bad. Care and concern, anxiety, merimnao, can come from love. In fact, that's often what we see when anxiety is a good thing, is that it's flowing from a love for others. For instance, in Second Corinthians 11 and verse 28, Paul describes the burdens that he bore as a servant of Christ. He said, there are the daily pressures on me of my anxiety for the churches. In the very next verse, he says, who is weak and I'm not weak? And who is made to fall and I am not indignant? In other words, Paul had this anxiety, this care and concern for other people because he felt such compassion upon them, such love for them, that when they were weak, he was weak. And when they experienced trouble and hardship, he experienced hardship and trouble. And that's just called love. Love for others, care for others is not a bad thing. And I don't think Paul at all was embarrassed about saying in 2 Corinthians 11 that, oh, I'm sinning because I have this anxiety, this bad anxiety. No, this is a good thing. I have such a great care for you. Anxiety is not always wrong. Another example of this comes in 1 Corinthians 7, and I know that many of you can experience this. That chapter, Paul's talking about marriage, and he counsels those in the church not to get married. It's kind of strange for us. We promote marriage and Marriage is a good thing, it's a great thing, but he says, I encourage you not to get married. But then he says in 1 Corinthians seven twenty eight, but if you do marry, you've not sinned, which all of us married folks say, phew, good thing. But then he explains, those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I want to spare you of that. Well, those who marry also have worldly joys as well, so... You know, you balance those, that's why you don't run to sin. But then he describes the troubles. He says this, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32 and following. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how he might please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how she how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. In other words, what he's saying this is that if you are married, you have a love and concern for your spouse. You have, if you will, an anxiety for your spouse, which is not a sin. We're commanded to love and serve and care for our spouses. And likewise with the Lord, right? We're commanded to love and serve the Lord. But Paul uses a word that we translate anxiety, a care. We should have an anxiety for the Lord. We should have a care for the Lord. And there are other instances when the word merimnao is used to describe care or concern that are not wrong. In 1 Corinthians twelve twenty-five, it's an admonition to the church body. Is that we should have the same care. We should have the same anxiety 
have the same merimnao for each other. Like we should have burdens, we should have love, we should have care for one another. We need you to serve each other. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 20, Timothy had such a, a great heart for the people that he was, as it's quote, it's, it's translated in the ESV, is genuinely concerned for their welfare. Literally, he's anxious for the welfare of those in Philippi. So anxiety is not, not wrong, but there are some times when anxiety is wrong. As I've said, anxiety is our wrong response when we're over-concerned with someone or something in, in our lives. And when it becomes wrong, often God has been helpful to us to give us some signals, like maybe a, a racing heart or, or sweaty palms or shortness of breath or overeating or, or undereating or maybe sleepless nights. Right When you're over-concerned about something, they have difficulty sleeping because you're thinking about it right so much that it's kind of consuming you. And, and I would just say, if you have a sleepless night... Like I often have sleepless nights. If you have a sleepless night, ding, 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 it could be because you're not responding rightly to a situation in your life, which is anxiety in your life. Now, your anxiety can also lead to lashing out in anger at others, right? So concerned about something, you're tense filled that you're just angry, or it can lead to uncontrollable tears, right? You're so consumed by the, the fears and anxieties you're facing. And these, and these bodily reactions are often helpful to us, that they're signs that, you know what, we're not responding godly to the circumstance. We're all going to have circumstances. We're all, we're all going to have troubles, right? Difficulties surround our lives. It's a matter, though, of how you're responding. And when you respond in an ungodly way from an overconcern, it's anxiety. And that's when anxiety turns from a good thing to a, a sinful thing. And yes, I've called anxiety sin because it is. And we often don't think of anxiety as sin because we all have so many concerns that we're anxious about. And many times people can think about anxiety as something that, that's just a, a mere manifestation of the circumstance. I, I got so many things, right? I'm just anxious about all of that. Almost like as if anxiety came from upon us and, and the anxiety is the problems of the world that's upon us. But I'd say, no, anxiety is your response to those things in an ungodly way. But anxiety is so common to us all, we can hardly think of it as sin. Uh, Jerry Bridges has written this uh, excellent book called Respectable Sins. Okay, you can probably think about where, where I'm going with this. Um, anxiety is one of those sins that we can kind of deem as, oh, that's a sin, yeah, but, but it's kind of a respectable sin. I just want to read for you here what, what he writes about respectable sins. He says, the entire concept of sin has virtually disappeared from our American culture at large and has been softened even within many of our churches to accommodate modern sensibilities. He says, people no longer commit adultery, instead they have an affair. Corporate executives do not steal, they commit fraud. But what about our conservative evangelical churches? Has this idea of sin all but disappeared from us also? No, it has not disappeared, but... In many instances, it's been deflected to those outside our circles who commit flagrant sins such as abortion, homosexuality, and murder, or the notorious white-collar crimes of high-level corporate executives. It's easy for us to condemn those obvious sins while virtually ignoring our own sins of gossip and pride and envy and bitterness and lust, or even our lack of those gracious qualities that God has called the fruit of the Spirit. You realize that anytime you lack love, anytime you lack joy, 
or peace or patience or kindness or goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, or self-control. That's sin. Because God calls us to love. God calls us to have patience. So just even a lack of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives is sin. He says this, On the whole, we appear to be more concerned about the sins of society than we are the sins of the saints. In fact, we often indulge in what I call the respectable or even acceptable sins without any sense of sin. Our gossip or unkind words about a brother or sister in Christ roll easily off our tongues without any awareness of wrongdoing. We harbor hurts over wrongs long past without any effort to forgive as God has forgiven us. We look down our religious noses at sinners in our society without a humble there but for the grace of God go I spirit. And it's easy for us to think, oh, we're so righteous and look at the wicked out there. But when it comes to anxiety, I'm just saying that it's one of those acceptable sins. And uh, Jerry Bridge is really calling us to say, you know what? We have a lot of sins that we just accept. And I think that's with anxiety as well. I just encourage you not to accept that sin. He, he, sent, he spends an entire chapter talking about anxiety here. And um, one of the things he speaks about is about how anxiety is a sin. He says, when you or I to say someone, don't be anxious or don't be afraid, we're simply trying to encourage that person or admonish in a helpful way. But when Jesus or Paul or Peter, who were writing under divine inspiration, says, do not be anxious, it has the force of a moral command. In other words, it is the moral will of God that we not be anxious, or to say it more explicitly, anxiety is sin. Now, there, there are people who don't think anxiety is a sin, and I think that if, if that's you, just there's a choice. You can argue with it, or you can embrace it. You know what? Anxiety is a sin. And if you embrace it, embrace the fullness of the gospel also. That Jesus died for all of our sins, including the sin of anxiety, and he'll embrace us in our weakness. And he'll embrace us in our need for help as we just confess our sins to the Lord. As we do that, we can know and understand the experience, the forgiveness that comes through Christ. Yeah, I've used this illustration before, but I need to again. There are greater sins and there are lesser sins. I mean, certainly it is a greater sin to murder somebody than to have a little anxiety about a conversation you have tomorrow. Certainly that is different. But... I, I just say that the closer you walk to the cross of Christ, the closer you are with Jesus, the bigger you see the cross, and the more you identify each and every one of your sins. And so those sins, which you, you didn't think they were before, but now as you see Christ and all that he has done, you see that he died for your anxiety. And so let us not think, oh church, that we are so righteous and the, church, and the world is so wicked out there. No, we have plenty of sins that need forgiving, even in our own selves. If we live with our anxiety, even with our, our struggle to get rid of it, you know, sanctification is a lifelong process. You're never going to get rid of all your sins. And anxiety may be one of those that you may never get rid of. That's okay. God calls us to, to walk in that and struggle with it. But the cross of Christ is large enough to deal with all of our sins. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him. Here it is. Having forgiven us all our transgressions. He's wiped them all away. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. That is, he set them aside, nailing them to the cross. Even the small sins that we tolerate, 
God didn't tolerate our small sins. They were nailed to the cross of Christ. He died for all of them if we put believe and trust in Christ. So to deny that anxiety is a sin is to turn away from the very help that you need. You need the Lord to be your help. You know, we just finished preaching through the Alleluia Psalms, Psalm 146 through 150, those five psalms there calling us to praise. And the one verse that has stuck out to me in my preaching of it, and I've said it to many, I've probably mentioned it in several sermons, Psalm 146, verse 5, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob. In other words, we are blessed when God is helping us. When God is our help, that's when we are blessed. And we turn to the Lord for help, even in the smallest of ways. Even the smallest of struggles that you have with sin, you're blessed. And so I just encourage you, right? Don't go it alone with your anxiety. I don't want to go alone with my anxiety. I want to seek the Lord's help. I want, I want to know His blessing. And, and I have plenty of anxieties in my life. Preaching is an anxiety in my life. It's not so much standing up here right, speaking for you. This is not a great anxiety. This is, this is a great joy. I, I, I love teaching. I love this moment. But the anxiety is the prep is the preparing and the, and the praying and the searching and the study and trying to figure out what would be best to speak here on Sunday morning. So it's not to waste your time, so it's to be good and helpful and encouraging and, and God-exalting and all those things. And, and I would just say this anxiety every week of my life <clears throat> has this cyclical pattern. On Monday, I don't have a lot of anxiety about what I'm going to preach on Sunday. And by Wednesday, I have a little bit more. And by Friday, I have a little bit more. And come Saturday, I have a lot of anxiety. And, and my family has learned over the years, oh, it's a Saturday. It's anxiety I have. And I'm sometimes not so pleasant to be around on Saturdays. Just being honest with you, that's an anxiety that I have every week of my life. Is that true, Yvonne? No, not every week, right? When, when others are preaching, I get to go to church. That's like, I, I love going to church because it's an anxiety-free Sunday morning. I, I love that. I, I struggle with that. And, and I can say, well, it's just the pressures of my job. The, the pressures of preaching gave me this anxiety. Right? And we, it's, not, it's not me, it's the preaching. Or I can say, no, it's my response, my ungodly, unrighteous response to the pressures of preaching. And my response often isn't good, it's, it's sinful. And I need the Lord's help to overcome my anxieties. And if God is my help, the God of, help, God of Jacob is my help, then I'm blessed. So you, you, can, you do it just some ways. You can just view myself as a victim of my job to preach to you. Or I could say, you know what? It exposes some weaknesses in me every week. My anxieties. I'm going to seek help from the Lord. One anxiety, another anxiety I deal with is dealing with people. <laughs> people is my, my work as a pastor. So I seek to direct them and serve, point them to the Lord. I, I often disappoint people. I, I do. It's, it's not everything that um, I, I do is, is helpful. I've sinned against plenty of people in the past before. Um, and, and ultimately, I, I have found that I disappoint people, that I'm not everything that they want in a pastor. Uh, and so they leave the church in search of another place that can help them spiritually more than I have. And it's interesting because I made a, a, a transition from merely being an elder on a, on a, on a church to being a the preaching pastor, maybe the main guy, if you will, I made a transition that, that everyone who leaves the church leaves, this is not true, okay, 
Most everyone who leaves the church leaves the church because of me. Okay? And that creates some anxiety. In fact, some people have been so angry when they left the church um, that even seeing them in town causes my heart to skip. And uh, that's why I need books like this when people are big and God is small. I need books like that to sever me from my people-pleasing habits or desires. Um, Now, I'm thankful I don't live in a small town. That'd be really hard. I just it's caused me to respect pastors who live in small towns or see people over and over who they have offended or who have disappointed them in, in any way. And and I'm not under any um, presumption at all that my anxieties are to be oh that's just that's just for every pastor. Every pastor has that. I'm like no, it's my unrighteous response to my anxieties about people. And sometimes it's not just people who've left the church. There are people in the church many times. Maybe got a hard thing to say to them. Maybe there's some conflict where they're not, and to resolve those conflicts, those are those are difficult. And I just say that I'm I'm grateful for the cross of Christ to to help me with my anxieties of dealing with people of disappointing them, whatever. And I'm depending on the power of Christ to remove such anxieties from my my life. Well, those are some of my chronic struggles with anxiety particularly that reach my job, whether it's uh, preaching prep every week, whether it's people dealing with them, whether attentions, it's hard. And, and I'm, ex- I'm certain that all of you have anxieties as well. Um, they may be different. I mean, you're not preparing to preach every week. Um, but maybe you have some financial anxieties. We're just not making enough. We're going to make it to the end of the month. Am I going to have enough to retire? There might be some big anxieties. M- my job, you know, the things aren't looking good in the industry. What if I get laid off? Or maybe you have relational anxieties. Maybe there's some particular people in your life with whom you've had some conflict. Maybe you have some past history with that you have some anxiety about those people. Maybe you have anxieties about your health or the health of a loved one. How serious is this illness going to be? What are the long-term implications? Maybe you have anxiety about your own safety or your own children, the safety of your, your children. Maybe anxiety is about some event that comes up every year. You just, ah, I'm going to get real nervous. And, and sometimes these are right. I mean, I remember we lived next door to a, a former um, soldier who spent some time in Iraq and Afghanistan. And to him, the sound of, um, of fireworks, it reminded him so much of the things that happened to him when he was there, when he heard the shooting and he saw the deaths of the people when he was over in war, that, that July 4th is an anxiety for him. And that's just circumstantial. This has come upon his life. And it's whether he can resolve it and walk rightly or whether walk rightly. It can be a sinful anxiety or it can be just this, you know what, I just got to work to get over this. I, I remember one time when I was uh, rear-ended by a, a car. This was before I was even married. Where I was on I-90 and driving along and the car in front of me stopped and I stopped pretty quick and I looked at my rearview mirror and I just saw this car hit me in the back and the insurance and all that stuff to deal with but I'd say for years as I stopped along the highway I had flashbacks and some anxiety that this guy behind me is going to come and crush me so there, there are circumstances that things you've experienced are going to lead you to special anxieties that's how you respond to them whether it's debilitating 
or not. You may have anxieties about some political events in our nation or some declarations that our president made even this past week that are totally unjust and totally unfair, totally bad for our country. You can have anxieties about them. You can cast your cares on the Lord. And maybe you've been triggered by past experiences like my car crash or like um, some upbringing or some church experience or some experience you have with your family or even some smells might trigger some anxiety. Listen, my title this morning is, is thinking about anxiety because that's what we have been doing. But I, I want to now ask the question, how can we overcome my anxiety? And uh, you know how you overcome your anxiety? This is one way to overcome your anxiety is by thinking. Right? That's why I'm thinking about anxiety. So you can open your Bibles finally here this morning to Matthew chapter 6. So I set these things up in, in your life. And, and this morning we're really going to be thinking about anxiety as the way to overcome your anxiety. And next week we'll be more practical about some other ways in which you can overcome your anxiety. Um, but we're just going to center our thoughts here because this is what Jesus tells us to do. He says, think about your anxiety. Matthew six twenty five. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. He's just talking about financial pressures, laying up your treasures in heaven and not on earth. And he says, well, if I, if I let my treasure, I might not have enough money. And so the money by food and shelter and clothing. And, and Jesus just says this, all right. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, of what you will eat or what you will drink, about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory is not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat and what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, in verse 25, Jesus begins by addressing the source of anxiety. And what's the source? It's ourselves. We focus upon ourselves. And I think this is a big difference between, between godly anxiety care and wrong care or sinful anxiety is that, is that proper, unsinful, righteous merimnao is care and concern about others, which is love. But when you turn that about your own self, oftentimes that's where the sinful anxiety. And Jesus says this, do not be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious about your life. Hear that? Don't. Be anxious about your life. And then in particular, he speaks about just the, the necessities of life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what will you will put on. Now, we live in a day and a place where such matters couldn't be further from our minds. We have plenty of food in the United States of America. 
In fact, if you don't have enough food, you can go to the government and get a SNAP card, and that will help you get all the food you need. And if that's still a problem, you just go down to the local food pantry, and you'll get all the food that, that you want. They're willing to give any food to anybody who needs it. The problem in America is not lack of food. The problem in America is abundance of food, as we have the obesity epidemic in our, in our country. It's causing a chronic problem. It's not starvation. It's overeating. But those in Jesus' day faced this reality. They, they were struggling even for their daily bread as Jesus taught them to pray that. So food was very much a reality for their life, a, a, a reality of life and death even. We don't have issues about worries about what to wear. There are plenty of clothes to wear. Um, we have thrift stores. Real cheap clothes, all right? Now, you may be un- unfashionable, and certainly there are some teenagers who would cause them anxiety for not having the right clothes, but that's not sort of a different, that's sort of a different thing Jesus talked about, but it's very real, right? Do not be anxious about the clothes you are, are wearing. But Jesus lay out a situation where you might not even be able to afford clothes to be on your back. And throughout this text, Jesus is going to deal with these realities of food and drink and clothing, right? The basic necessities of life. And that's why I just encourage you, as we work through here, maybe you can think about whatever area of life you are anxious about. Maybe just kind of replace that. So make verse 25 read like this. Don't be anxious about your life, whether you'll have enough to retire, whether your children will be safe when they drive, or whether your child will find a spouse, or whether the government will enact immoral laws. Think about that. Jesus is saying, don't be anxious about those things. Right? Now, it's not that we don't act. I mean, next week we're going to talk a lot about acting and how it is that you solve those things. Right? I mean, certainly you should work to have enough to retire. And and certainly you should pray um, for the safety of your child when they drive or they're out. And and certainly, right, you should... um, Pray for a spouse for your child, if that's what you desire. Certainly, you should vote and even support good governmental candidates, right? It's not that you shouldn't act about these things, not that you should have a, a good concern. But when it's these concerns are over the top and cause you to respond sinfully with anger or attitudes or actions or yelling, shortness of breath, sleepless nights, these are the time that you need to obey the Lord's admonition, not worry about these things. Because retirement, a lack of retirement funds, or the future of your children, or the, the future of the government, none of these things are going to kill you. Right? And Jesus is saying, you're praying for food and drink, which that will kill you if you don't get that. These other things, they, they, won't, they won't kill you. And Jesus is telling those facing the reality of starvation, if they didn't get their food in the water, they would die. And in those situations, he said, don't be anxious. So I think you can compare it to your own life as well. And then Jesus, through the rest of this passage, begins to reason with his disciples. He begins to think with them. He says, okay, guys, don't be anxious. Just think about it, right? Let's just think about your anxiety. And uh, here's what he says. He says, think about just the reality of life. Think about the birds of the air. Think about how useless worry is. Think about the lilies and think about the fact that you have a a father in heaven who cares for you. 
And all, he's trying to put anxieties in perspective. That's what I'm trying to do this morning as we think about anxiety. So verse 25, he says at the end, Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? See, the reality of life is that it's more than food and clothing. Uh, the reality of life is that we need the Lord for every, every breath that we take. And we need the Lord to continue to sustain our heart and to keep our brain functioning Job 34 says this, If God would determine to do so, if He would take His Spirit and His breath from us, we would be but dust. See, food is more than just what we put in our bodies. Life is more than that. Life is about God giving us life. Acts 17, 28, In Him we live and move and have our being. And if God sustains the matter of our biological life, will He not sustain our lives with food and clothing? Jesus says, think about your life. Think about it. Life's more than food and clothing. Verse 26, he transitions now just about your life. He says, look at the birds. Be a good zoologist. Understand them. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. See, birds aren't farmers. Birds don't have tractors or planters or combines or pesticides or fertilizers. They don't have barns. They don't have food pantries. When, when it comes to the morning... They just get up, and they go out on their search for food. And God provides them all the food they need. Psalm 104, 27, 28. All the animals look to you to give them their food in due season. And when you give it to them, they gather it up. And when you open your hand, they are filled with good things. Animals seeking provision from the Lord. And then Jesus says this. Are you not of more value than they. Of course we are. Human beings, we're the crown of creation. We're created in the image of God. God cares for us more greatly and deeply than he does for the animals. And God provides for them. If he provides for them, is he going to provide for you? Yes, he argues from the lesser to the greater. Of course he will. And then verse 27, Jesus gets us to be thinking about how, how useless your, your anxiety is. Interesting. I just find it so fascinating here. There's, he's talking about how to overcome anxiety. And anxiety often is the overthinking of things, right? The consumption of things. You can't fall asleep because of these things. Anxiety can do some things. It can cause sleeplessness. It can cause ulcers. But there's one thing anxiety cannot do. It cannot add to your life. Verse 27. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? If anything, anxiety will actually shorten your life. As you're, you're concerned, the physical effects of anxiety will wear away your lives. And if you really think about it, how much is your anxiety going to change the future or change the thing you're worrying about? Is, is thinking about and worrying about some financial, some retirement fund going to change it? No, it's going to be other things that are going to change that. Or being anxious about maybe your child's safety, right? Being anxious isn't going to help that. Being anxious doesn't really help a lot. But sometimes we think it does, and it just consumes our mind. And when Jesus says, he says, don't be thinking about all your way. Just think about the fact how you're not changing anything and help to overcome in that way. Don't be anxious. And this is, let's look at the flowers from zoology to botany. This is this. And why are you anxious, verse 28, about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, 
which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, a man of little faith? In, in verse 26, he says, look at the birds. Now, he says, look at the flowers. He's just saying, look at life around us and think about these things. I mean, I love how Jesus he says, you know what, we're, we're just not as good observers as we ought to be. He says flowers. Think about them. Flowers are some of the most beautiful things of this creation. Their colors and variety are breathtaking. Devon and I go out on our walks. Um, there's, there's, in, in recent days, there's hardly been a time where we've walked back up into the house and we see our, our roses on this side and our yellow, what are the yellow things called? What are they called? Black-eyed Susans and the red. And she's, wow, this is, just, this is just a great time of year when they're all just flowing and budding and beautiful and all the different colors. There's hardly anything in a, all of creation that is more beautiful flowers. It's, it's hardly an accident that we often decorate with flowers. I mean, you just look at your shirts. I don't have a flower shirt on. Maybe I should have today. But lots of you have flower foliage shirts on because we decorate with flowers because they're so beautiful. Yet how much do flowers work for their beauty? God gives it to them. They don't toil or spit or labor. He just gives them their beauty, endows them with that. And they're temporary. They're, they're, they're temporary. And we're going to see this in a few weeks. Here's an object lesson for you. Right in a few weeks, as the weather gets cold, the vegetation dies, it all turns brown and yucky. Realize that's an object lesson. If God so cares for the flowers, which are just here for a month, or bud just a little bit, and then, then they're gone away, Will he not care for you who are going to live eternally? Again, arguing from the lesser to the, the greater. He says, don't worry. Trust God. He will close you, clothe you. And again, notice how Jesus ties anxiety to a lack of faith. And that's really what it is. Not believing and trusting God that he will sustain you this day. Listen to what D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says about this passage. He says, faith according to our Lord's teaching in this paragraph, is primarily thinking. We must spend more time in studying our Lord's lessons in observation and deduction. The Bible is full of logic, and we must never think of faith as something purely mystical. Christian faith is essentially thinking. Look at the birds. Think about them and draw your deductions. Look at the grass. Look at the lilies of the field. Consider them. Faith, if you like, can be defined like this. It's a man insisting upon thinking... When everything seems determined to bludgeon and knock them down in an intellectual sense. So the trouble with this person of little faith is that instead of controlling his own thought, his thought is being controlled by something else. And as we put it, he goes round and round in circles. And that's the essence of worry. That is not thought. It's the absence of thought, a failure to think. And so that's what anxiety is, is a failure to think that and to realize that you're, all your thinking on this is really helpful. It's not. And God cares. And he is, is with us. And so th- that's where he even leads us. Verse 31 and 32. It's, it's all about God. It's about trusting the Lord. 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? This is the same point. He's pounding in again, the summary. Don't, don't be anxious about these things. He says, because, for, verse 32, the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows you need them all. So, in other words, right, in verse, verse 32, we're speaking about two different people. We're, we're talking about the Gentiles who do not have God. They're out of the covenant. And then we have those with the Heavenly Father. 
And that's those who've trusted in Christ, who have this caring Father of them. See, the Gentiles who are outside of the covenant and the promises, right? They're filled with anxieties, and they spend much of their days pursuing the necessities of life. But Jesus says, listen, you're different. You have a heavenly Father who loves you and who cares for you, who, who set his love upon you, and nothing can separate you from that love, and he will provide for you. And that's the reality of the gospel, 1 John 3, 1, see what kind of love the Father's given upon us, that we should be called children of God. And such we are. We are the children of God Almighty who is sovereign over us, who controls all things in our lives. And as His children, God will take care of us. He knows our needs. He knows exactly what we need. And He knows even when we don't need things. Have your kids ever asked you for something? You said, ah, let's, I'm not going to give that to them. Because you know it's better for them not to have it. How many times we be before God? God, it'd be, it'd be far better if this were the case. God says, ah, I don't think so. It'd be worse for you. And in his sovereign will, maybe <clears throat> there's some things we're anxious about, we want, we're trying to figure out, and God's got, I guess it's under control. <laughs> no, no, and now let me worry about it. And God says, no, I, I've, I've got it under control. No, 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 we're really, we're really, we're, we're worried about this, God. He says, no, I've got it. It's really... Okay, and this, this book also about, uh, about anxiety. I, I love the way that um, Jerry Bridges writes this. He says this. He says, suppose someone you love were to say to you, I don't trust you. I don't believe you love me and will care for me. What an affront that would be to you. Yet that's what we're saying to God by our anxiety. I don't trust you. I just say, Think about your anxiety and trust the Lord for things like this. And God wants us to pursue Him. Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. See, that God, God gives us things in this earth. There's lots of things and matters that we, we give us reason to be anxious. But God says, you know, don't be anxious about those things. Seek me. As you seek me, I'll give you these things. I'll provide for you. I'm the heavenly father. Uh, I love the story that's told of a, a man named Bulstrode Whitlock. He lived in the 1600s. He'd been appointed by Oliver Cromwell to be the envoy of Sweden. Okay, so this is a different context, different decades ago, but this is a great lesson. He was, he was feeling anxious about the, the state of the nation of England that um, had gone through a civil war. They'd executed their king. There were religious divisions. The army and the government were at odds with each other. It was difficult enough figuring out which direction that the country was going, as let alone represent England to Sweden. And the night before he was to go, the story is told how Whitlock was nervously pacing about. He was unable to sleep, and he couldn't figure out what, what's he going to do when he's going to Sweden, how's he going to represent, and all these things in, in his mind. And then a trusted servant noticed his employer was able to, unable to sleep, and he said to him, he said, pray, sir, will you give me leave to ask a question? To which the ambassador of Sweden said, certainly. Pray, sir, do you not think that God governed the world very well before you came into it? He said, undoubtedly. And he said, and pray, sir, do you not think that he will govern it quite well when you're gone out of it? And he said, certainly. Then pray, sir, excuse me, 
But do you not think that you may trust him to govern it quite as well as long as you live? And with that thought, Whitlock had right to bed, fell fast asleep. Putting things in perspective, really thinking about things. And this is why it's helpful just even to read through the Scripture, to see over and over and over and over again the faithfulness, the trustworthiness of God. You see it time and time again. And you think about God and His character and His love for you in Christ. And the things that you're anxious about will diminish. See, people are anxious. They often think it's because they're thinking too much. They can't fall asleep because their mind is racing. But actually, the, the problem is that they're thinking about the wrong things. Right? They should think about God and His sovereignty and His care for them. And when you think about that, you sleep like a baby. So, as Jesus ends this little section, He says, Do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And, and next week, we'll talk about some practical things to do when facing anxiety. But here this morning, I just want us to just think about anxiety. Think about God. Think about His care for us. Think about the birds. Think about the flowers. Think about how much your worry is going to help you. And I think it's even in that perspective you can help and overcome your anxiety. So let's pray. Father, I do pray, God, as, as this is uh, an issue that I believe you have led me to think about and address uh, for us as a congregation um, just these booklets that have been taken. I, I pray, God, as it is such such a, a precious topic for all of us. It is something that all of us struggle with. As Job says, that man is born for trouble as sparks fly upwards. And that is our life, God. Our life is full of trouble. It's full of hardship. It's full of lots of things coming at us. And there's plenty for us to be worried about. Father, but I, I would pray that that we would understand how you are the one that keep us from that, that we can trust you. In this world, you will have tribulation and trouble. But be of good cheer, Jesus says. I've overcome the world. And in trusting in you, we can see our sins forgiven. We can be made righteous. And 10,000 years from now, a lot of these small anxieties will have no bearing upon our lives at all. They will be long forgotten in light of the marvelous grace of Christ. And yet today, God, they are big. They are big in our lives. And so I would pray... God, you'd help us to think rightly about them today. I pray you'd help us to pray rightly about them. I pray you'd help us to act rightly about them and that you would free us from these things, that we would walk before you in faith in every way. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.